Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. You guys ready for week two in our suit up series? Amen. I'm excited for this today as we continue to peel back the kind of the veil of the spiritual war that we are encountering each and every day. How many of you are enjoying the seven days so far of the devotional we've been doing for our 21 days of fasting and prayer? As we are looking at the armor of God, uh, for those of you who are new, we started a, a 21 day fast in the prayer initiative on January 1. We are uh, Gave devotionals out to everyone that was in church in attendance that day uh, to kind of follow along, pray together, and learn and grow together as a church. If you were not here, were not able to get one of those devotionals, you can do it online. If you go to www.vlchurch.tv forward slash suit dash up. That's a mouthful, but vlchurch.tv, our website, slash suit dash up. You can actually access the devotional online and follow along with us as we learn about the armor of God, about what, what it's for, how it helps us, how it helps us grow and equips us for the day in which we live. Uh, last week, we talked about there is a war happening all around us at any given time. It's a spiritual war. Whether we recognize it or see it, it's happening, and it affects the things that we see. Uh, a few of you maybe uh, were high, highlighted to know or enlightened to know, and Scott was sharing with me, several have spoken to him about the fact that the word Hamas in Hebrew means violence. And in the Genesis, it says, in the days before the flood, the earth was filled with violence because the thoughts and intents of man's hearts were evil continually, that there is this spiritual force, this spirit of violence that the Bible refers to as Hamas that's unleashed into the world. And Hamas just attacked the people of God, Israel. The people of God are at war with Hamas. And while they are at war, the rest of the world is in protest, not against Israel who was attacked, but against the Hamas, but for Hamas that is attacking Israel. So you can see that there is a spiritual battle happening, and it's tangible if you have eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart that can believe the very Word of God. And today, that's, that's the day in we are looking at in uh, the devotional, day seven. If you haven't done it yet, spoiler alert, we're talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we need to not just know how to defend ourselves against attack, but we also need to know how to go on the offense as we wage war, not just experience warfare, but wage war against the enemy. How many of you know that the church isn't just a bride, it's not just a people, it's also an army? The church is a spiritual army. We don't fight like the world fights. Matter of fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we don't wage war like people do, like, like humans do. It's, it's spiritual warfare. And we have divine weapons that can tear down strongholds. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to be a child of God. So we're going to get into, we're going to continue just talking about the Word of God, but from a little different perspective today as we unpack and kind of peel back the layers of, of deception that the enemy has placed on the world and give you a glimpse of kind of what's happening, what's been happening, and, and how we can begin to walk in freedom, especially in the ways that maybe the enemy has gotten into our lives, into our family lines and generations, and maybe we haven't recognized it or known it before. We're going to read in James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. Here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Somebody say, I'm fooling myself. If you hear the word, but don't do it, you're fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, but you walk away and forget 
what you look like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. I thank you for each person that's here. God, you brought us all here for a purpose. Nothing happens by accident. There are no coincidences. You are the sovereign God. You've declared the end from the beginning. And I just thank you, God, that you have rightly, divinely brought us together. You have placed this word on our hearts this morning, God, to reveal your word, to reveal your ways, to give us insight into what's happening, to prepare us, but also equip us, God, to handle what is to come. And I thank you, God, out of all the people you could have brought onto the earth, into this place, at this time, you chose us. God, we are so thankful. We thank you for the cross of Christ. We thank you for the blood that he shed. We stand in victory in his resurrection, and we worship his holy name, and all God's people said, Amen. So the Word of God is a mirror. Answer this question for me. If you had something in your teeth or on your face, would you rather somebody tell you or not tell you? Tell you? Yeah. That normally, you'd, you'd want to know. For me growing up, I have always dealt like, going all the way back probably to the time I was a zygote, I've dealt with insecurity. I mean, that's how far back it goes. And so I, I would think, like, if somebody, like, I had something in my teeth that it would be cool if somebody said that. My, my wife would often say, man, you got something in your teeth. I would instantly get embarrassed, just like, oh, my gosh, you know. And it wouldn't necessarily be because I had something in my teeth. It's because you're drawing attention to the fact I have something in my teeth in that moment. And so I've kind of grown up a little bit, a little bit, you know, but I'm working on it, work in progress. But the deal is this, that if you don't have somebody point out to you what's on your face or in your teeth, how can you do anything about it? You know, and how can you do something with that? You know, now that I'm getting older, I'm recognizing there are really important reasons to look in the mirror. The older I get, the more surprises I see. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? It's like, for some reason, I have a white hair that grows out of the middle of my forehead. And it, like, appears out of nowhere. It's like, it's not there, then whoosh, like, overnight. I've got, like, these two little ones that come off the edge of my earlobe. And I'm like, I'm losing hair up here. How come I can lose hair up here and then grow it magically elsewhere? Like, it just, that, that's not fair, God. You know, come on. Like, it's, I just, I don't understand it. But the deal is, if you look in the mirror and you see what's wrong, you can do something about it. But if you never look in the mirror, then you keep walking around not presenting yourself the way that you would want. And then what happens when you discover that? Wow, you're embarrassed. You're hurt. You're, you're feeling humiliated. If my wife never pointed out to me, if I never listened to her, if I never took time to look and pluck in the mirror, I'd be walking around not how I want to look, embarrassing myself. And that's the thing about the Bible. The Bible is a mirror. If you don't take the help, you can't receive the blessing. Can I say that again? If you don't take the help, you can't receive the blessing. And the truth is, what we see from Scripture, what is not blessed is cursed. And curses can be seen all throughout the world. Matter of fact, you read through the Old Testament, you can see even curses on nations. In the book of Exodus, the people of God are sent out of the wilderness into the promised land, into the land of Canaan to conquer it and really to destroy these, these tribes that are there, to remove them from the land that God has chosen, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, or Perizzites, all the clans of Canaan. They were cursed. Why? Not because they were just doing wrong things, but all the way back to Noah, Noah's sons Ham did something that was really shady, and Noah cursed Ham's son, Canaan. And so from that moment, these tribes that have come from this man, Canaan, have lived under a curse. And now we're finally at the point of the Exodus where Israel's going into the promised land. That curse is coming to fruition into their destruction. And so things that happened long ago can manifest later simply because a curse that is upon the nation. And we can see, again, that the nation of Tyre and Sidon, Babylon, are under a curse. Babylon has known for all sorts of, uh, of mischief, and one more notably in the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis, 
all the, we were all one nation. Every human being was one nation, one tribe. We were all extended relatives. And then we were united in evil. And God came down and saw what was happening. And he said, oh, this ain't good. If they keep doing this, they'll be able to do whatever they want. And so God separated humanity into tribes and into languages. He also created boundaries and borders for the lands and separated people into their lands. And he chose Abraham out of that mess to create a people for himself. And he chose the land of Israel for, for himself. And we can see all sorts of chaos that ensues in all of these different nations that were handed over at this point to their own gods and their own way of doing life. Later on in Israel's story, they get cursed. Because rather than staying pure, righteous, and holy, staying faithful to God, where God said, if you follow me, if you serve me, if you trust me, if you obey my word, you'll be blessed beyond your imagination. Your crops will never fail. There'll never be a miscarriage among your family. Every nation will envy you because of your prosperity. It is incredible what God promised. And rather than trusting God, they went another way, and they experienced the curse rather than the blessing, and they were removed from the land. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 17, this is a song of Moses. Moses prophesies about that rebellion in Israel, and here's what he says. He says, they sacrificed to what? To demons that were not gods to gods they'd never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. When they forgot God, when they forgot his holiness, his righteousness, his laws and his decrees, and they turned to worship other idols, they didn't turn to worship statues. They turned to worship the power behind the statues, the demonic forces. That word demon here in the Old Testament is the word shedim. In, in the Greek, in the New Testament, the word demon is daimoniai. The word translated as possessed, as someone is possessed by a demon, actually comes from the word demon, dem, demoni. It's demonizomai. I'd say that ten times fast. Somebody should have said, ex, excuse you, you know, sounds like I sneezed. Daimonizomai. It simply means to be under the power of an evil spirit. So when someone says that person's possessed, we, we think like they're, they're under the control of or they, they belong to this spiritual entity. The word possessed is actually a bad translation because somebody is demonized simply by being under the power or influence of a demonic entity. And so if we remove that word possessed and we think of it as demonization, there's multiple levels of demonization. The more authority the spiritual world has in your life, the more demonized you are. Behind every idol, every false god, is a shadim, a demonia, an evil spirit. In Deuteronomy 32, when the nations were separated, God handed those nations over to the demonia, to the gods. And Israel was chosen to be God's people. So if you think about this, if the pagan world was given over to the gods then we would assume then their entire culture would be demonized. We would assume their culture, their attitudes, their behaviors, their beliefs would be demonic in nature. And we can see this in our own world. We can see this in our own culture, in our own nation, because we're not standing on the ground of Israel. We're standing on foreign territory. America, for all who believe in Jesus Christ, this is not your home. Heaven is. And one day, heaven's going to come to earth, and it's not landing on Washington, D.C. It's landing in Jerusalem, the holy city. So our true heritage isn't here. It's there. That's where we belong, in the holy city with Christ the Lord. And so our nation, though it was founded under biblical principles, in theory, is still not under the power of God. It's under the influence of the evil one. In James chapter 3, 14 and 16, James unpeels this, this mystery, this understanding that there are things that we wrestle with, there are attitudes that we wrestle with that are not holy in nature but are demonic in nature. Here he says, if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, and what? Demonic. 
Oh, selfish ambition and jealousy. It's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every vile practice. The Bible says God is not the God of disorder or confusion because he's truth. But where there's jealousy, selfish ambition, there's also the demonic, the influence of the enemy. Paul at length describes in his prophetic writings about what the world will be like in the end of days is that men will be lovers of themselves, full of selfish ambition. And the closer we get to the end, the more and more we'll see that. So it's no surprise that we see this more and more in our daily lives. And so I think social media has been a huge uh, contributor to that. But Jesus describes what the possession of a nation or a, a demonization of the nation will be like or a generation will be like in, as a nation that once followed God turns away from God. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 42 through 45, here's what Jesus describes as a nation or a generation that once believed in God turns away from God, what it will be like for them. Verse 42, it says, The queen of Sheba will also stand up against this generation on judgment day and condemn it, for she came from a distant land to hear the wisdom of Solomon or the word of God. Now someone greater than Solomon is here, Jesus, but you refuse to listen. Verse 43, and here's what he says. Again, here's how he's setting it up. He says, when an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home swept, empty, and in order because that's what God does. He brings things into order. But then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And then the person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. So what's he saying? He's saying, you think you had it bad before you met Christ. If you come to know God, you begin a relationship with God, and you turn away to follow false idols, it's going to be worse for you than if you had never known Christ to begin with. It's going to come back. And what do we see in our nation? We see that there's always been sin. There's always been chaos. There's always been disorder. But as the nation has turned away from God, like Israel, we're seeing an increase, exponential increase of chaos and disorder and selfish ambition and jealousy and division and discord. All over everywhere. When the spirits are cast out, there's peace. But when the nation turns from God, the gods return, and it's far worse. There's a man by the name of Jonathan Kahn. He wrote a, in the book Return of the Gods. He refers to this as the dark trinity. He looks at how Israel battled really these three main deities that they were constantly warring with God's people, trying to turn their hearts away from God uh, in, his, in the Bible. And that these deities... Um, really were kind of like the main, the main opposition in Israel. God is constantly sending prophets to deal with people who were following these false gods and how America is following the very pathway Israel followed when they began to turn away from God. And so we're going to look at just a couple of these and, and kind of talk about the influence in America for just a moment. One of the demonic powers of this dark trinity that, that Israel wrestled with mo most often was the god Baal. That name Baal means the possessor or the owner. It, it means ownership. And what the spirit of Baal did is he always brought or turned or pulled Israel's heart away from God. His role was to possess Israel. So how do we do that? Well, we remove God and we rule in his place. And so they, Baal caused the Israelites to forget God, to turn away from God, to forget his ways, to begin worship and idolatry. And if we look at America, we can see the same symptoms. America, again, we started worshiping God. We started worshiping Christ. Did you know that America, in times of crisis, used to call for national prayer, prayer meetings? Did you know in most of the founding documents of every state charter of the first 13 colonies, there's a reference to Jesus Christ in the gospel? America has a rich spiritual and Christian founding. But what does America do now? We mock the idea that God even exists. 
How did Baal get in? Well, we opened the door. In the 1960s, we started removing God from the public square, removing God from the schools, keeping the Bible from being taught in schools. The Ten Commandments couldn't be in the courthouses anymore. And especially when looking at how the culture impacts children, when you remove God from children, something else is going to move in and come for them. You curse a generation because something else is coming. And we can see the sign of Baal. Many don't know, but much of our founding happened in New York and around New York City. And so that is the ground of our founding. And what do we have erected in New York, actually in Wall Street, at the place of our economic center, is we have this image. It's the image of Baal. It's a bull standing in our nation's founding at our economic center. And so the sign of Baal has come to America. And here recently, uh, when the U.S. under President Trump was battling ISIS, ISIS bombed a town and city in in ancient Babylon and destroyed the archway of Baal. And an artist decided, well, it would be a good idea to recreate that. And so he recreated the archway of Baal, and it went on a world tour, and it was brought to where else? New York City. Go to the next one. So there's the archway of Baal at our nation's founding, and that wasn't good enough, so then they moved it to our nation's capital. And there are images of the archway of Baal, the gateway to his temple, the worship of this deity being at our nation's founding. It went elsewhere around the world, but it's not insignificant when and why this was taking place. So Jesus, again, if Jesus said in John 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to remove God is to remove the truth. And now in America, we reject truth. Why? Because everyone has their own truth. Truth is relative. That might be true for you, but it's not true for me. We remove that. So what happens in a nation when truth is removed? Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 22, he says, God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, just like the ancient alien theory. Well, man, this place must have been created by aliens because we can't figure it out. There's all sorts of wackadoo things going on about what God's like. But as a result, their minds became dark and what? Confused. Without the truth, there's confusion. They claim to be wise because they have degrees. They spent time in college, but instead they're utter fools. And if you continue to read, you continue to read the description of what unfolds in a society, all sorts of perversion and and sexual identity confusion and all manner of of wickedness begins to unfold in a society that turns its back on God, refuses to worship God. And so in comes the second member of the Dark Trinity. This is Baal's wife. Her name is Ashtoreth, or she goes by many names in in the Middle East, but Ashtoreth, Ishtar, Aphrodite, Inanna. She is the spirit of sexual immorality or prostitution. And again, in the 1960s and 70s, what did we have? We had the sexual revolution where we began redefining relationships, redefining marriage. We took sex out of marriage, began to pervert it in culture. We began paganizing culture through sexuality. What happened? Marriage became weakened. We had more kids born out of wedlock, more kids in the foster home, more homes being dysfunctional. The divorce rate began to skyrocket. And and we see all sorts of brokenness in the home. Now, the Greeks referred to this, this deity as porne, where we get the name pornography. And what did this goddess do? But she infused the culture with sexual images, just like porne or pornography is infused to all areas of our culture. And it shifts. More and more ground is surrendered to this goddess. We see more and more pornography or pornographic images in our society. And I'm just going to, as a side note, I'm just going to say that the influence of this goddess, if, you, if you're dating just to hook up and not to tie the knot, you're under the influence of this deity. 
If you're operating, if you're involved in pornography, you're worshiping this deity. You're engaged in the worship of this demon influence, under the demon influence. The Bible says to keep the marriage bed holy. So if you're living with someone who's not your spouse, you're operating under the influence of this demonic entity. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 20 through 21, here's what uh, Paul says. He says, no, I imply what the pagan sacrifice they offered to demons and not to God. There it is again. He says, I don't want you. He's talking to the church now. He says, I don't want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You can't partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Here's the deal. We've been called out. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We have a new citizenship. We have a new identity, and it's found in Christ in Christ alone. And so when we allow ourselves to fall prey to the schemes of the enemy, we end up worshiping at the wrong altar. And what happens when you worship at the wrong altar? You invite the curse. We've been called out. So Asherah was also known to turn the genders, turning priests into priestesses. She was the goddess of gender blurring as she turned men into women and women into men. And often the male priests would be surgically altered so that they could pose as women and engage in prostitution in the temple. And uh, Jonathan Kahn also in his book, he chronicles it and has these in the ancient writings that he reveals that she was also known as the goddess of parades. They would celebrate in parades the honor of this goddess. Can you tell me which month they used to celebrate? The month of June. It was the month of June. And she also had a symbol associated with her. Can you tell me what that symbol was? The rainbow. June was adopted as Pride Month in 1999 under Bill Clinton in memory of the Stonewall riots when the police raided the Stonewall Inn in New York in 1978. The rainbow was adopted as the gay flag in 1978. So within the same decade or so, you have not only the opening of Baal, but you also have the opening of Asherah into the nation. And as Asherah gains more and more influence, more people show the signs of demonization. And it's affecting our kids. You, you realize that many kids now feel like that they're unacceptable unless they identify somewhere on the alphabetic spectrum. It, it's a cultural thing now. It's not like an actual issue. Many times it's a cultural issue. And I'm just going to say this with all the love in my heart that if this is a struggle that you have, our heart goes out to you. I mean, Jesus has an answer. He has freedom. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, if you're a parent and your kid is going through this, there's no better way to hate them than to encourage them to be something other than what God created them to be. There, there, this is a reality that there is a true heaven, there is a true hell, there is a true spiritual world, and we're caught in the middle. And if we're not on the side of truth, we're inviting all sorts of evil to curse our generations. And here comes the last of the dark trinity. It's the god Molech. He's known as the destroyer or the god of child sacrifice. Abortion came into America in the 1960s and 70s, and now today we've over, offered over 64 million lives in honor to these deities. Since the 1960s, there has been an open door to the enemy. And every court case, every law that's passed just ingrains us into a covenant with these deities. And now we can see where we are today. And these are the sins that brought the curse upon the generations in the nation of Israel. And we can see this in what is called generational curses or familial curses. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, here's what God says to his people. He says, you must not bow down and worship them. These are the false gods. These are the demonic powers. He says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. God doesn't share his people. He doesn't share. You're his. You belong to him. And so when we leave God to worship other gods, he takes it personally. 
And he says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. That when the curse is unleashed because of turning your back on God, it goes down the family line. It's not just affecting you. It's not just a personal decision. This is something that can affect generations to come. And we can see this in the Bible. We can see this in our everyday life. What are some generational sins? These are just some. There's many. But you're talking about generational theft, people that struggle with thievery or addictions. Your father was an alcoholic. You're an alcoholic. Your kids are an alcoholic. You see perversions. You see uh, adultery. Your father was an adulterer. Your, your mother wasn't faithful. Your daughter wasn't faithful. You see all of these things begin to pass down the family line. There's generational circumstances like divorce. You have 15 people got divorced in your family. Generational sickness, poverty, generational unbelief or trauma, depression, clinical and mental disorders. There are things that pass down the family line that are situational. You didn't choose it. You didn't do anything to walk into it. You were born into it because it's a curse on the family line. There are some personal things that we see as a result of these curses, like unrepentant actions, again, addictions, perversions, pornography, rebellion, theft, gossip, unfaithfulness, gluttony, unrepentant attitudes like pride, unforgiveness, bitterness, selfishness, hatred, and greed. These are all things that are influenced by the demonic, that when he has authority in your life and authority in your family, then Jesus doesn't because you've handed it over to the evil one. And I've mentioned this a lot because one thing that's probably one of the hardest to overcome, but one of the ones that it's easiest to experience breakthrough when you finally humble yourself before the Lord is in the area of unforgiveness. Because every one of us have pain. Somebody, somewhere did something that we just can't get over. Everyone. And the reason why it's hard to get over is because we protect our hearts with pride most often. But here's the deal. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So your forgiveness relies on your willingness to forgive others. Your forgiveness relies on your willingness to forgive others. Either somebody's saying amen or that's somebody's phone's going off. Mark 11:25. Here's what Jesus says again. He says, when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Did you hear that? How many of you pray every day? Well, we should pray every day, right? If it's important enough for God to say, don't pray until you've forgiven. It's probably pretty important. Again, Jesus clarifies even more, Luke 17, 4, because I know we have all sorts of excuses that run through our mind about, well, this situation or this situation or this over here, this over here. Here's what Jesus says. He says, even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, each time turns it again and asks for your forgiveness, you must forgive. Not you should, or maybe one day get around to it. He's saying you must Forgive. This is the 70 times 7 principle. That there should not be a limit to our willingness to forgive. Why? Because there's no limit to God's willingness to forgive. If you could calculate everything you've ever done and will do against God, you don't have enough numbers. Like even if you just took three sins a day for the length of an 80-year-old's lifespan, it's in the millions. There's not enough times to ask for forgiveness, right? God's forgiveness is endless. That's why I'm so thankful that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. So his forgiveness is, is unfailing. There's no limit. And so, so ours should be also. 
And forgiveness doesn't mean that trust is immediately established, right? There are human relationships or things that you have to work through. But what it does mean is that you're no longer holding their mistakes against them and you're working on your relationship. You're not avoiding them in the hall. You're not treating them like the redheaded stepchild. Forgive me if there are any redheaded stepchilds in here. But you're working on reconciliation. Jesus says we won't be forgiven if we don't forgive. And there's a mystery here. We're not going to read it, but in Matthew 18, he gives a, a parable about a rich man who has a servant. The servant's forgiven a huge debt, but that servant won't turn around and forgive others an incredibly smaller debt than he ever owed the rich man. And God says something to his disciples, says something to Peter in Matthew 18, 35, at the end of this parable, as the servants cast into torment because he wouldn't forgive the, the smaller debts, he turns to Peter and he says, and my father will do the same to you if you don't forgive other people their sins. What's he saying? He's saying you're going to get thrown into hell? No, he's not. He's not saying you're going to get thrown into hell. And he's not saying that he's going to call the cops because you didn't forgive, right? What he's saying is you're going to be tortured. You're going to have a tortured soul if you don't forgive. Forgiveness isn't for the person that transgressed. It's for you. Because when you hold on to unforgiveness, what are you doing? You're saying, I know better than God. I'm going to sit in God's place, and the enemy says, okay, great, let's have fun. Let's play. And how many of you know that bitterness doesn't just affect you, it affects everyone around you? Every person. If you're walking around with a tortured soul, it's going to rub off on other people. But if we learn to forgive, we can find freedom. There's a promise that says the spirit of heaviness will be lifted and re we will receive a garment of praise. You see, we have to believe the word of God is true more than how we feel in a moment. And that's the challenge. That's, that's the difficulty. I was talking to Chris the other day just about struggles and things I'm going through. How many of you have found out you struggle a lot more than you think during the fasting? Anybody? Like, man, carbohydrates, I didn't realize were that much of a friend to me, right? You know, you're just like, whoo! Right? But I was telling Chris the other day, I was like, you know, I know the verses. I know the steps. But knowing it and doing it are two different things. To get your place, yourself to that place where you're like, okay, God, oh, I'm, I'm surrendering. Sometimes is the worst battle of it all. But it's important that we get there, that we don't just hear the word, but we do it. Why? Because Jesus came to set captives free. He came to give you life and life more abundantly. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he'll do that in your life all day long if you let him. But Jesus has another plan. There are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. And when we don't just hear the word, but we do it, we gain access to the blood of Jesus that was poured out to break the chains that have been holding us down. So here's your memory verse for the week. As you are fasting and praying, you're going through the study, here's something I want you to keep in your mind as maybe the Spirit of God brings things to your mind, ways you've surrendered ground to the enemy, or maybe issues in your life or your family line that, that you realize, oh my gosh, this is, this is a thing that needs to be broken in our generations. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing, for it is written in the scriptures, curse is everyone who is hung on the tree. In other words, when Christ was nailed to the cross, so was the punishment, so was the weight, so was the responsibility for every curse we wrestle with in this life. He took it all. And so we can put our curses on him and we can receive his healing. How? By submitting ourselves to the Lord. By not just being a hearer of the word, but doing the word. We can walk free. How many of you want to get to the place where you're just not carrying the load any longer? Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. My wife was singing that just out of her heart in, in the worship. Come to me who are heavy laden, I will give you rest. God has rest for you. But it takes not just hearing the word, 
but doing it. Not just looking in the mirror and walking away, forgetting what you look like, trying to ignore the problems, but saying, I'm going to do something about it. You see, if we take care of our personal sins and our personal curses and find freedom, we can take care of the general, generational sins from being passed down our family lines. When we take care of the generational sins, we can take care of the national sins. Why? Because families become communities and communities become nations. The key to seeing revival and a turnaround in our nation isn't who's in office. It's who's on their knees. Think about this. What happened to the gods of the old world? You think about the nations in modern society. What happened? Why, why aren't the temples still around and people still going there to worship each and every day or week or month? It's because the gospel happened. The gospel happened. The disciples went into all the world and they preached the gospel. Matter of fact, you can read in the book of Acts that when Paul was in areas and he was preaching and people were getting saved and demons were getting cast out, they would come and they'd bring all their occultic materials and burn them in the fire. People would stop going to the temples and the people that were making money building shrines and building idols were getting mad because they were losing money because the impact and the influence of that deity and that in that location was being eradicated because as Jesus is exalted, the kingdom of darkness is defeated. And so you could see this happening. And the greatest example of this is Rome. Rome went from being the greatest persecutor of Christians to being a Christian nation because of the gospel. See, the old gods might be moving back into America, but the same power of the same gospel is still effective, the same blood is still sufficient, and the same name carries the same weight of authority, the name of Jesus, the name above all names. So we don't get disheartened, we don't get disillusioned, we don't say, oh, the world's coming to an end. We say, Lord Jesus, be praised, and let's get out there and preach the gospel to every creature, because that's their only hope of salvation. Before the nation can revive, there must be generational redemption, which begins with personal deliverance. This is what it means to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer. Again, what good is it? And I'm talking to myself now. If I know to do good, but I don't do it. What good is it? The Bible says that there's really two kinds of sin. There's knowing to do good. And neglecting to do it. We call the sins of omission. Things you leave out of your life. You know you should be doing it, but you're not doing it. The Bible calls that sin. That covers a lot. The Bible also covers the things you do on purpose. You know that are wrong. You just do them anyway. That's sin too. And all sin, every sin, is an open door and an open opportunity for the enemy to get influence in our lives. Every sin can surrender ground to the enemy can't. So if we want to know the way to freedom and we do nothing, it's meaningless. That's why Paul said, you're fooling yourself. That's why James said, if you say you have faith but there's nothing to show for it, it's worthless. It's just talk. The word of God is alive and powerful. It's the sharpest sword. There is none like it. And the Bible is the key to unlocking your freedom. But part of the key is staring into the reflection as a mirror. Someone said that when you read the Bible, you don't read the Bible. The Bible reads you. You got to stare into the reflection. You got to be willing to be okay with what you see because God wants to help you clean up the mess. Jesus will wash the mud off your face. And he loves you enough to pick the crap out of your teeth. John 8:31 through 32. Here's what Jesus said. He said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. If you remain faithful to my word, if you believe my word, if you do what my word says, you're my disciples. Verse 32, here's a promise. And you will know the what? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's bow for prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As the team comes up to lead us in a song as we go into a time of response. This is the moment you decide, am I going to be a hearer or am I going to be a doer? How am I leaving today?
in the quietness of this moment, just a few questions. Are we burdened for our nation? Are we burdened for our communities? Are we burdened for our families? And are we burdened for the ground that we've surrendered in our own lives? It's time to do something about what we see in the mirror and let the ripple effect of God's grace begin a chain reaction that can bring healing not just to us today, but to future generations. What you decide today can impact your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, and on down the line. I'm so thankful I have family members in my family line that said yes to Jesus. That I got to grow up in a home that talked about Jesus. Where I didn't have to live in a third-world country and not know him. Because knowing Jesus is the greatest thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. It's the greatest treasure. It's the greatest prize. And there are people today that still don't know, have never heard his name. Sometimes when I look in the mirror, I don't like what I see. But you know, Jesus, because of what he did for us on the cross, he looks at me and he smiles. Because he doesn't look at me as I am. He looks at me as who he created me to be. Who I will be in glory. When all this stuff is gone and all this stuff is wiped away, when Jesus comes back, the Bible says we're going to be changed. We're going to put off the sinful nature. We'll be given a body that is sinless, that is perfect, that won't have to struggle with this stuff anymore. And we will be in the perfection of God's goodness and righteousness and holiness forever and ever and ever. And I'm so excited for that. I am homesick for that. I'm so ready to quit battling between minor temptations and then feeling shameful because I messed up again. But our hope isn't in our own strength. It's not in what we can do. It's in Jesus. And he's made a way. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'm not talking about you've not heard the stories, or you've not attended church, or you've not become a member at some point, or you, you agree that there's a God that exists. I mean a personal relationship with God. Jesus said, my people are my sheep. They know my voice and they follow me. Do you know the voice of God? Do you have intimacy with God? Do you have a relationship with God Almighty? If all you have is religious participation, my friend, you're missing out. There is so much more when you have intimacy with God, when you know the voice of the Spirit, and He lives in and works through you. There's so much more than just attending services. Do you have a relationship with God? The first stronghold that needs to come down in anyone's life is the stronghold of sin and death. And that is broken when you say, God, forgive me of my sins. I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to be a child of God. I declare Jesus to be my Savior now and forever. And I trust in his death and resurrection to be the payment for my sins. The Bible says the moment you declare Jesus, Jesus with your mouth and believe in your heart, God will save your soul. The hand of the enemy, the, the rights to you will be broken and you'll have the power to start walking in freedom. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Joey, I, I need that kind of relationship. I need a personal relationship with God. Then when we stand and we begin to sing, I invite you to come and meet myself or one of our prayer team members down front. And let us pray with you. Again, this is be a hearer, not a doer. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me on earth, I'll be ashamed of you in heaven. This is not a time to just want to do it in your seat. This is a time where you make that declaration. I'm not living under the thumb of the enemy anymore. I'm going to stand and I'm going to make a declaration with my life, beginning by coming forward and giving my life to Jesus. And I tell you, even before you get down front, you're going to feel different. 
But if you're here today and you know God's speaking to you, and I believe he is, anytime the word is declared, the spirit of God is at work. If you know you've surrendered ground, there are things in your life you've never confessed. There are situations in your life that, that you need to be delivered from, and you're ready to start taking the fight to the enemy rather than just giving up and giving in, then it's also time to come forward. And kneel down and lay yourself down before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord, the scripture says, Humble yourself before the Lord, and at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. Humble yourself before the Lord. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Some of you, you're not just fighting for you. You're fighting for your family. You already see in your kids what you see in yourself. It's time to fight. We're not playing anymore. The veil's removed. You see it. It's time to fight. It's time to be a doer, not just a hearer. When we stand, you come forward. And our, we'll have prayer team members available. If you would like prayer, the scripture says we confess to each other, pray for each other. There can be healing. We believe God is still at work in the miraculous today just as he was 2,000 years ago. We'll pray and we'll continue to pray until we feel a release of the Holy Spirit. But right now, this is the time to respond. This is your invitation. This is God saying, will you be a hearer and a doer? Will you look in the mirror and do something about it? Or are you going to take a glance and just walk away? This is your moment. You're not guaranteed any more time other than today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for what you're about to do. God, I thank you. You're about to break some chains. There's some people that are going to walk away differently than they walked in. We believe that you come into the presence of the Lord. You come the same, but you leave changed. But today, God, I just believe that there's going to be some mountains that are going to crumble into the sea. There's some chains that are going to break. There's some generational brokenness that's going to be delivered, God. I just, I just believe it, that there's some prodigals that are going to come home. I believe, God, that, that there's already seeds being planted. You're getting ready to water and grow the fruit, God, and I'm so excited. I'm so appreciative, God, and I'm, I, I just feel in my spirit, there's at least one person in here that needs a real relationship with God. You have played the game your whole life. You've played the game even this morning, acting excited to come when you're not excited at all. And I just believe God is calling at you. He is calling you out. And today, I believe if you surrender, you give your life to Christ, man, you're going to walk away, in a, and you're going to man be like, what did I waste all this time what did I waste all this time? I just believe that word is for you. And so when we stand, you come. God, I pray you draw every heart right now. Enemy, we command you to leave in the name of Jesus. Every distraction, every lie that you're speaking, we command you to be silent and to go. We set the authority of Christ in this place. Holy Spirit, do your work. Be a wall of fire around us, Lord God, and let your glory be in our midst. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand to our feet as Tony leads us. Prayer team, we invite you to come forward and be ready to pray with folks down front. You come. We're not going to call you out. We're not going to wait. You just start coming. Here is where I lay it down. Every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. This is Come on, don't wait. If you hesitate, you're most likely to walk away the same. Don't wait, you come. If you're wrestling with it, just do it. Make the move.
depression. I just hear that over and over in my head. Depression, depression. If you have depression in your family line, come. Kneel down and we'll, we'll pray with you. Come on. Someone here who's struggling with anxiety and control and as soon as things aren't under your control you kind of lose it and I know that the Lord wants to heal that in you this morning so if that's you if you felt that pull if you've already felt the Holy Spirit um, speaking that to your heart I believe that today he wants to bring breakthrough for you so if you're struggling with control and anxiety Come and lay it down before him this morning. He wants to break the power of that in your life and provide you true freedom. 
that you can learn to trust Him, that you don't have to have it all under control because He already does. Some of you need to surrender your children to the Lord today. I just heard him speak that. They belong to him anyway. Come and lay your kids down before the Lord. Let him handle it. Give them over to him. encourage everyone that uh, on the Connection Center desk is the sign-up sheet for the 24 hours of prayer. We're asking uh, people to sign up for the hour slot. Um, one person or one family per hour, please. And uh, we want to get that filled up. That's coming up on the 19th of January. So we want to be prepared for that. And I just am thankful of what God is doing as He's continuing to 
just mature us and grow us closer to his heart during this season of prayer and fasting. We want to finish strong with the 24 hours of prayer. But I'm going to pray and I'm going to bless us as we just thank God for what he's doing and accomplishing in us. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are doing a mighty work in our hearts. We thank you for the strongholds that are being broken. We thank you for the captives that are being set free. We thank you for the just the spiritual alignment, God, getting us out of agreement with the enemy and into alignment with your will. God, I pray that we'd be hearers of the word and doers of the word, that we wouldn't just listen and think, oh, that's a good good note or a good nugget, God, that we would leave here knowing that this is life, this is truth, that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to seal that up in our hearts, that passionate for the, for the word of God, that desire to know you more. God, we pray the prayer in the Psalms. God, teach us your ways. Help us to know your laws and your decrees. God, give us, give us insight into who you are and what you're like, God, and that we would know your word. And God, I just pray that today, that what you started in this moment wouldn't stop when we get to our cars, God. It would continue through the week. God, draw us close. Encounter us in the secret place as we are praying. God, reveal to us greater revelation as we are going through this devotional together, Lord. And then teach us to war well. And I just thank you, God, for what you're doing. God, I pray against every spiritual attack that's been raised up, even in the process, trying to distract and get us uh, off track. God, we just thank you that you're victorious and we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus because of what you've done. And so today, God, I bless us in the name of the Lord by declaring the blessing in your word that says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he give you his peace. And all God's people said, amen and amen. We're just going to remain in an attitude of prayer as people are still praying up front, but you are dismissed. Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.